This episode of Overthinking Movies contains full spoilers for Mothra from 1961 and Mothra vs. Godzilla from 1964. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Overthinking Movies. I'm, of course, your Overthinking host, Brandon Hain, and we are diving back into the wonderful, ludicrous pool of Toho's Godzilla franchise. And, of course, because of that, I am joined once again by Godzilla aficionado Alex Ulaki, and also my Overthinking co-host, because we mentioned in our previous episode that we skipped over a Godzilla movie during our run of the old films last, well, back in, wow, 2021 now. So, now, we're going to talk about Mothra versus Godzilla. There's a reason why Mothra's name is first. However, before that, Alex and I also decided to take a look at the original first Mothra movie, since, of course, it acts like an origin story for the character. What is Mothra? Well, that'll become pretty clear as we get deeper into the film. So Mothra is directed by the Godzilla usual stand-in for most of the movies, Ishiro Honda. And obviously I need to do the usual preface where I apologize for saying Japanese names wrong. And the script is written by Shinichi Sakizawa. These two would also go on to write and direct Mothra vs. Godzilla. So we've got the same crew here writing similar stories, as we'll kind of see, that there's similar themes going on. But Mothra is an interesting movie in its own right. A movie about a giant moth. As uh, Wikipedia preferences, moth for moth and raw because they just like to end all of their characters with Ra. In Japanese, Godzilla is Gajira, and then there's King Ghidorah, there's, we just covered Ebera, so yeah, there you go. And hey, Mothra would go on to be one of their most successful monsters, so I guess that all works out in the end, probably because, you know, she's a moth, while most of the other creatures end up being just some form of dinosaur or dragon. I mean, yeah, I mean, what could be more powerful than a moth? Come on, guys. Uh, speaking of, we're going to get into 1961's Mothra now. Now, I also should say, I watched this movie in Japanese with subtitles. Alex watched the edited English version. So we're going to discover the differences for ourselves as we talk about the movie going through it. So where does Mothra begin? Well, like previous movies that we've talked about that featured Mothra, Mothra comes from a place called Infant Island, an island out, I forget which ocean it features in, but primarily it's deep out there, isolated, and nobody really knows too much about it. At the beginning of Mothra, it's simply used as a site for atomic testing because people think the island's deserted. And who is doing the atomic testing? Well, it's not actually Japan. In this case, it is, it's a name I keep hearing pronounced differently throughout the movie, but it's essentially an amogram of America and Russia. Yeah. Try making a movie where you combine those two countries in any decade kind of past this. But essentially, I'll just call them Romerica. Romerica is dropping and using atomic testing on Infant Island. And during this atomic testing happening, a Japanese ship is caught in a typhoon 
that hits the ocean and sends them tumbling in the direction of Infant Island. They are later discovered on Infant Island and rescued, and they're shocked to find that none of the survivors from the shipwreck have any radiation poisoning since Infant Island is so known for the atomic testing. Because of this, a large group of scientists decide they're going to mount an expedition to Infant Island to discover how could these people have survived? What protected them from the radiation sickness? So the expedition is launched with uh, <laughs> mainly, of course, Japanese scientists, but also a few people from Romerica, including a man named Nelson, who will become a very, very important key character oh, in this yeah. film. And one of the other main protagonists of this movie that we've been following for a bit are a group of reporters working for a local newspaper in Tokyo. These are two interesting characters. One is... Our lead is essentially a go goofy... Okay, good. I was going to say, did the goofy vibes come over in the original? But yeah, I would figure they did. I mean, like, they introduce him and, like... I mean, first of all, he, he c comes off a little bit funnier looking than some of the others who you would usually find in these, like, leading roles in these movies. He's a little heavier set, and th at the beginning, he, like, helps find this mouse that got loose in the house who was this kid's pet and the mouse like climbs up his sleeve and soon he's like dancing around with it but you know yeah he's a nice guy and he gets the mouse after this little like three stooges like bit almost yeah he his comedy mainly comes as a lot of slapstick but he's also a very successful reporter oh yeah at this newspaper and as we see later in the movie he's also a very heroic man as well no, I found I found him very endearing. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's 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 a likable protagonist. So he decides he's gonna try to sneak aboard the ship with all the scientists because there's been a law put down that no media is allowed aboard the ship to Infant Island, but he happens to get himself snuck aboard, much to the the chagrin of the lady that usually follows him around, helping him report. Yeah, the photographer, because it's of course. Back in those days, women who were, like, not allowed to do anything were always allowed to be reporters for some reason. Like, even, like, in the 40s with Superman and all that. But, yeah, she was cool, too. They make their way to the island. They, of course, discover this reporter who has snuck on board. But they say, you're allowed to come along as long as you don't do any reporting. Which, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> He's practically doing it just by being there. They get off on Infant Island. Of course, they put on their radiation suits and they find what at first seems to be a fairly uninhabited place, but also a strange place where strange plants grow. It has a very otherworldly type of feel to it, much more so than the Infant Island we would see in later movies, which just kind of looks like an island. <laughs> yeah, I really I really liked the atmosphere of the island in this movie. It does stand out a little bit. It's very colorful. The plants are large. Like, there's parts where they're going through a cave and there's these just kind of general flowering looking plants, but they're just towering a few feet above, like, the people walking there in these dark cave systems and stuff. Um, and then, of course, there's the, the evil vampire plant with the, the living vines that attack the one guy. And, yeah, I, I really liked the, the vibe of a lot of the plants on the island. Yeah, it's a shame that they didn't continue this on into the later movies, but I think that was probably one, because Infant Island isn't as much of a focus in the later films, and also because budget, in terms of having to build all this stuff. No, apparently, like, they had a lot more plans in this, and just everything they wanted to do, apparently, the budget just didn't allow them to do it. 
Speaking of the vampire plant, yeah, one of the crew is attacked by these vines that it's almost like sucking away their life force. And so eventually he is saved by two miniature women in strange outfits that save this man. How would you describe them? They're like maybe not even like a foot tall, maybe like a few inches. <laughs> They're the size of dolls, which would be very convenient because they swap them out with dolls in the scenes where they would actually be on screen at the same time as anybody. And man, these transitions are terrible. They do not look at anything besides dolls when they grab them. That actually happens very soon into this because, of course, the rest of the crew comes over to see what's going on and they discover these women and they're, of course, fascinated and not sure how to feel about such a surreal sight until Nelson's like, oh, interesting. Well, these could make me a lot of money. <laughs> so he just picks them up and tries to take them, and then the second he tries to take them, ah, it turns out they're not the only inhabitants on the island. The natives of Infant Island appear from behind the bushes and start chanting, essentially trying to make them let the women go. And what I find very interesting is that uh, usually in the later films, the tiny women simply just, they speak Japanese, and here they speak in almost like a it's almost like the sound a bug would make it's it's like this high-pitched tone eventually the other scientists have to convince nelson to put the girls down because they don't want any sort of conflict these natives they discovered also live on this island somehow despite the radiation going on which unfortunately are again instances of dark highlights used on japanese actors there i don't know that this whole thing has as much of a history in that area of the world but it definitely does not hold up well today nonetheless yes even in the film that we're going to cover right after this and pretty much any other version of infant island since they very much played down the infant islanders being Japanese people painted with darker skin. In the later films, as you sort of said when we were talking about Abira, they kind of just look like Japanese people wearing Hawaiian vacation outfits, um, <laughs> <laughs> which right, I'm okay right. with. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, but eventually, since they know that they don't want to cause any fuss with the natives, they leave the island and express their findings, not being totally sure as to why yet that the survivors of the shipwreck were protected from radiation, but they at least they know that somehow race of people are surviving on this island. So the reporters go back to reporting and the scientists go back to deciphering the stuff they've uncovered on the island. And meanwhile, Nelson and a group of Romericans go back to Infant Island and this time they take the ladies again. Of course, the island natives show up to be like, don't, don't do that. So Nelson and his guys just pull out guns and shoot them. That was terrible, yeah. man. Which is especially egregious because the Infant Island natives aren't even attacking them. They're kind of just chanting and banging what looks like coconuts together. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just machine gunning them out. They're just... Oh, man, it was... Ugh. He just blasts his way through them for no real reason. Oh, man, which it was interesting, too. Um, as Brandon was saying, this, I guess, was supposed to be like a metaphorical combination of U.S. and Russia based on, you know, how Japan would have seen them practicing with their nuclear weapons around the world, which they would not be very happy with after the events of uh, 1945. But in the U.S. dub, Clark Nelson, the voice actor that they gave to dub over him, made get the impression of, like, a U.K. vibe. I mean, clearly, like, his mannerisms, to me, still, from the original film, and 
you know, his dialogue based around money just gave me a, like a U.S. capitalist kind of vibe, but the U.S. didn't think it was a great look for them, so wanted to make it more of a broadly Western type of character. But interestingly enough, no, I didn't like get any Russian impressions from anything that I watched. Yeah, neither did I. When I was watching the Japanese version, they all speak American, you know, slash United States accents. Well, okay, dubbed over in a really stilted sort of way, but that's essentially what they're going for. So I just assumed it was supposed to be America because there's a part later on where we get scenes in a place that has a name that's essentially a parody of New York City where they're all speaking English there. But uh, yes, Nelson takes the tiny women because oh they can also sing really well too so oh man we can put them up and make them stars so he, they can make nelson a bunch of money so yeah not long after this he returns and begins creating a big stage show that he can put the tiny women in the reporter and the scientists hear about this and our buddy the bumbling reporter is like that's really morally terrible something should be done about this but, you know, legally, I guess they can't do a whole lot, but that doesn't stop the reporter from trying to take matters into his own hands. Right. Now, he and his whole little squad there with the uh, the photographer and his son and even some of the other scientists and things all find this pretty egregious, but nope, not when there's money involved, can't do much. Yes, as we'll see in both movies with their, <laughs> with their signature villains. Yeah, very thematic. I mean, it's definitely very... King Kong-esque, which is not a coincidence. I guess when they were writing this movie, they basically just patterned it off of King Kong from 1933 and the uh, original Godzilla from 1954 as far as the themes of radiation and then just the idea of going to the island and bringing something back and then that causes trouble, even though it's not like they literally bring the moth back in this one, but they bring the women and then the moth will soon ensue, as we might find out. Yes. So the reporter tries to find the little women in hopes of getting them out of their situation. But, of course, Nelson keeps trying to push them back so they can't talk to them. But when they do finally get a chance to talk to the tiny women, the tiny women are like, yeah, so we have nothing against you guys. We know that you guys are good. Nelson is not the majority of your people. However, that's not going to stop Mothra. And they're like, what, what's, what's Mothra? They don't elaborate on what Mothra is, but they essentially say that Mothra is going to come for them and they feel great sadness for it because Mothra is going to destroy anything in her path to get the little women back to Infant Island. So as we get into Mothra, when we had covered Ebora, Terror of the Deep last time, I think we noted that it takes about halfway through the movie before we get some real monster action other than like a couple instances of seeing the claw and things like that yeah this movie mothra hatches 44 minutes into it with 45 minutes to go in the film yes <laughs> it like many of these movies it's almost entirely set up and then they they use almost the last half hour for all the monster stuff which thankfully may change when we get to the next movie. Anyway, I mean, what's funny is that what Nelson doesn't realize is that the little women are singing for the stage show a song about Mothra, and by doing so, they are also summoning Mothra because the, the infant islanders back on the island, the natives, are also doing their own little chant along with the women. Oh, and yeah, they really on top singing. of their temple is a giant egg, which seems like it may hatch at any moment. 
One scene I, I really do want to highlight while the reporters are trying to save the tiny women is a part where our buddy, our friend, the reporter, t- breaks his way through a group of Nelson's thugs. And oh my god, these thugs are like the worst I think I've ever seen in a movie. They're just tripping constantly. And all our buddy has to do is just push them and they just go tumbling everywhere. There's a great part where they chase him up a small flight of stairs and then he pushes one and they all just tumble like Looney Tunes characters down the stairs. Was that not in the U.S. version? I'm not sure. I feel like I would remember that. No, it's this wonderful action scene where he's just... This reporter is somehow able to hold off a group of Nelson's thugs with just pushing them or whapping them with a piece (laughs) of paper. Right. But yeah, they're able to keep the thugs back, which I believe at at this point what's going on is that he's trying to get his reporter friend and the girl to talk to the tiny women. And so this was his way of distracting them. And so I thought it was going to be like he gets beat up, but she's able to get to talk to the tiny women. But no, he just very... Easily deals with Nelson's pathetic thugs and then goes in to see what's going on with them. And, you know, they're trying to see, like, hey, can you not have Mothra do this? Like, can we just find a way to get you out? And they're like, at this point, there's nothing we can do. Mothra's gonna come and it's gonna be pretty bad. But, of course, when Nelson hears about all this, he thinks it's all a joke and he doesn't particularly care. So Mothra's egg hatches, but, of course, it doesn't just hatch as a moth. It hatches as a moth larva, which the Infant Islanders are like, oh, yeah, all right, go, Mothra. And the larva makes its way off Infant Island and over the ocean. I have to say, the, the puppet, when it was actually in the ocean, it looked like particularly good and large based on the size of the waves that I was actually seeing. I think at one point they said they were using a puppet that was 125th scale where they had like five or six people inside of it at once. I think that was for the larva. Yeah, it almost seems like there's multiple people inside making each part of it move, kind of like how you would envision something sort of slugging along. And yeah, it, it, it doesn't look bad. And when we get into the larvas in the next movie, they also don't look particularly bad in those water sequences either. And the other thing is that it was also a nice touch that they have uh, glowing eyes on the larva too. Yes, yes, and that's when we get that distinct sound that Mothra has, that that kind of high-pitched yeah. shriek, which is iconic. The larva just slinks its way through the city. Just, <laughs> I mean, it should be mentioned that at this point, is the larva headed for Tokyo or was it headed for Romerica? Well, it would be headed for wherever the the women were right so that would be tokyo i believe at that point it's tokyo because nelson has not gotten the point yet when the larva starts slinking along trying to get to them and just destroying everything in its path that is at the point where nelson's like okay this is not worth it at this moment so i'm just gonna take the woman back with me so he runs away i mean the the reporters try to catch him but they're too late and nelson takes a a plane all the way back to romerica right that's right because then you get these stock sequences where it looks like new york and san francisco and just like a bunch of these american cities more or less it's a big combination of everything (laughs) which is kind of interesting in its own right So eventually the larva starts making its cocoon. And so this giant tower that the larva attacks, Alex, is this, what is that supposed to be? Is that the Eiffel Tower? It looks like I was going to say, no, it's not supposed to be the Eiffel Tower. I think they call it some sort of radio tower. Okay. But for whatever reason, Mothra uses this opportunity to tear down the tower and then form the cocoon. 
around it almost to wrap herself in so that she can transform into her full moth form. Now, of course, like in the Godzilla movies, the military are trying their own methods of trying to take care of Mothra before she causes more destruction. And of course, it's it's through atomic weapons. I believe it's a Romerican atomic heat guns. Yes, heat guns. And they they blast the cocoon and then they, they celebrate. Yes, it looks like it was reduced to embers. And no, it, it doesn't look anything like that. It just looks like they charred the outside of the cocoon and whatever's inside of it would probably be fine, which is the case. They didn't do any damage and they didn't really check to make sure. Then they just start celebrating that the heat guns worked. And then, of course, no, Mothra breaks out of her cocoon, like out of her nap. <laughs> and now she's a full grown moth. So, Alex, I have a question for you. How would you compare the effects of Mothra flying around in comparison to our old buddy Rodan? Well, Mothra, I think, always flies a little bit better than Rodan. I was going to say that actually the flying in this movie and some of the things they do with the puppet are better than what I see of Mothra in a lot of the later films where Mothra is just more of a side-on character, like Rodan often is. Like, I could definitely see them doing a little bit more with Mothra here, especially not just when it was flying, but when it was just, like, crawling around. I got to see, like, when it comes out of the cocoon for the first time, you see its wings fold out, and that actually looks pretty good. Now, it's not a perfect puppet here. It's nothing amazing, but I just do want to illustrate that it's better in this movie and the following Mothra versus Godzilla than it is in a lot of the next bunch of appearances. Obviously, once we get to like the 90s or early 2000s when Mothra gets her own trilogy, Mothra looks a lot better then. Yeah, this is this is one of the better times I've seen Mothra for the most part, who always looks better than Rodan anyways, if you're going <laughs> to ask about Rodan. Makes me almost curious if we should do the original Rodan solo movie to see if he looks any better in his own movie. We probably should. Maybe Rodan looks half decent in that movie. (laughs) That would definitely be a huge improvement. So... Mothra attacks and she's of course you know she's on her way to Romerica but that doesn't mean she's not going to cause some destruction on her way and so Mothra's big deal now is of course she still has all the same destructive power she had as a larva but with her giant wings she can cause massive massive winds that they can blow anything away. So we get some amazing shots of her just like blowing these obvious (laughs) miniatures all over the place. (laughs) Yep it's Not really a Toho movie without obvious miniatures. Of course, you know, there's no people on the street at all because that would be very difficult effects-wise to convey. So it's just these empty streets of cars and the cars are just getting blown away. So Mothra begins making her way to Romerica because, of course, that's where Nelson's headed. And maybe the little women are simply just giving off some sort of signal or tune that Mothra is attracted to. Or maybe Mothra just somehow knows telepathically like the women do. It's not really went into. No. But, of course, the reporter and his buddies also try to get over there to stop what's going on and hopefully get the little woman back so they, Mothra causes less destruction in her wake. But Nelson, of course, you know, he's, he's trying to make his way back. Now, of course, there was an earlier part in the movie where they tried to charge Nelson for his crimes and try to get something put against him. But Romerica was perfectly content with protecting his rights as a citizen. And I think what's going on there is because, well, Nelson's an incredibly wealthy man and Romerica would be much happier with his money than worrying about the vague threat of 
something called Mothra. <laughs> but Nelson makes his way back, and at this point, Mothra has caused so much destruction, and she's on her way to Romerica that, that Romerica is like, okay, Nelson, we, we now see that we've made a mistake trusting you and what you've been up to. Nelson tries to get away. He either like steals a car or he's driving around in a car and he's trying to get through this giant crowd of people in New... What's it? New York City or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, something stupid. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, they, they call it basically the same, I think, in the Japanese version. So the giant crowd prevents him from getting any further and he knows he's basically done in. So Nelson just gets out of the car with a gun and he just starts pointing it and trying to get away and you know he's just dapper at this point he knows he's caught uh, the, the, <laughs> the greatest touch there too is when he's running through the crowd and there's, there's like this old man standing and then he just like pushes the old man and steals his cane to like start like whacking people with the old man's cane or something it doesn't get much more i'm a bad guy than that yeah i think he even does fire off his gun at one point just to get people out of the way i, th- I think he shoots a cop yeah, he does, actually. I think you're right. So, obviously, at that point, he's lost his rights. They take out their guns, and they blow Nelson away. He drops the little women, and the reporter at that point had gotten there to try to, you know, stop everything that's going on. And with Nelson gone, they're able to save the little women. Well, one thing that surprised me about that, too, is that they just end up shooting Nelson. I thought, ultimately, like, Mothra was going to somehow do something. Like, even if, like, they had just, like sequenced it so like he inadvertently is underneath of a building that mothra pushes over or something but no he just gets shot by the people that he enraged so much yeah and the other thing i guess we should mention that we haven't really talked about is that the little women for a good chunk of the movie have been encased in some sort of material alloy that is made to prevent their signal or Mothra from being able to detect them. But uh, it obviously does not work because Mothra is just able to locate them. Well, okay, because then they have to do that whole process where they have to lure Mothra to the, like, this airstrip after that where they, like, have to set up these signals and they coordinate it to ring all the bells at the same time, which also doesn't make a lot of sense. I talked about, like, earlier how they claim they're using telepathy when they're just clearly talking. And, and then you get this point, like, if they had telepathy, I thought they could communicate with the moth. I don't know why they have to organize the entire city to create a signal to lure Mothra somewhere to find them, but that is the route they take. Yeah, let's, let's talk about some of the symbolism going on here, Alex, because... Oh, yes. It's very obvious. It's so weird. It's just like they're trying to figure out a way to stop Mothra or lure her. And they see a church with a cross. And the cross, I think, is lined up against the sun. And it looks like a symbol they saw on like a cave wall in Infant Island. So they're like, (gasps) you know why? Because the symbol looked exactly like a cross, but with like another line or two next to it. That's why. Yeah. So... Their plan is that they have all the churches in the area ring their church bells at the same time to lure Mothra, because I guess Mothra will see the symbol, and then she'll just know that everything's okay. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, I thought they explained it as, like, they have to ring the bells to the right frequency, but maybe they got the idea from the symbol, because the symbol has the church. I know, Alex, uh, I remember now. It's because when they see that first church with the thing that looks like the symbol, the sound of the tune the church bells are ringing in, they say sounds like the tune (laughs) the girls, the tiny women were singing when they were performing on stage. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, of course. so then they have all the bells ring in that tone, and Mothra, I guess, is attracted to it. She lands on the airstrip peacefully. They get the woman back to her, and they fly away. I just, oh my god, I... <laughs> I guess because it's a Christian symbol and Mothra is supposed to be the good, nice monster. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. So that's where they leave Mothra for her first yep. movie. She goes back to Infant Island. Well, I mean, the end. They, they do try to make a point that Mothra is nicer and easier to control, I guess. But definitely the, the symbolism was very bizarre. And overall, like... You have one one title monster in this movie, Mothra. They have a lot of nice shots of Mothra throughout the movie, but ultimately, especially with some of the larvae attacking the city, though it was cool at first, it gets old kind of fast. So I don't think like the giant monster aspect of it particularly makes this a must-see, though I did find that, unlike a lot of other of these kind of movies that take a while to actually like show anything i found the movie generally to be engaging throughout most of it with all the little intricate parts of the story going on uh, i mean it, it was uh not intricate this was very simplified from the original story it was based after apparently or for instance they made changes like instead of four fairies there would be two because that's enough and also because of the casting of the peanuts as the little right, women right. so i'll talk a bit about them so the peanuts are essentially a duo singing group that are two twin sisters that not only look almost identical, but their voices are almost exactly the same besides one being a slightly, you know, different octave than the other. So it means that when they sing, it creates almost like this, this surreal kind of reverb effect which I understand now why they casted them, because it creates a very unique sound for when they sing. Right. They're a part of the films that I, I've always enjoyed because they're... Well, oh, sure, They give yeah. them good songs to sing, and they have pretty voices. <laughs> yep, and it's just a neat, weird, bizarre concept that fits right in with the rest of everything in this universe. It's one of the re other reasons why I think Mothra is such an iconic character, because she just has music that just goes with her. So that's essentially Mothra. I'll, I'll be frank, Alex, I was not... Very very engaged by this movie. Yeah. Okay. I I feel like it takes a bit too long for me to get to the stuff with Mothra, and even then, Mothra blowing away miniature sets and a lot of the stuff they have going on there, to me, wasn't nearly as engaging as, well, Godzilla bumbling through things. Sure enough. But, like you, I did enjoy their interpretation of Infant Island as this strange alien world uh, mutated by radiation and a lot of the other stuff going on there with the origins of Mothra. I just felt like despite the moments that I did enjoy, like the, the goofy fight against Nelson's thugs or the crazy Christian symbolism stuff going on, the majority of the movie did not really grip me as much. Uh, I actually took breaks while watching Mothra while I watched Mothra versus Godzilla the whole way through. Now, for me, I was more pulled into this one. Like I said, the action at the end just gets old a lot faster, but especially just because of the, the performances of the reporting team and the cast of characters and the really bad bad guy and then all the albeit unoriginal but still usually engaging turns between the uh island and taking it back and all that i mean i i didn't come out saying wow that was great but no i, I like that one I, I can just say that and from there we move on into the main event mothra versus 
Godzilla. I actually quite enjoyed this one. I think this might be my favorite Godzilla film we've covered since uh, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster. Okay, yeah. On those grounds, I would agree with you for sure. No, this was just... If even all the ones we've covered, this one would be among the higher of them. I just found the story of this one more engaging the protagonists. I was on their level, I felt, throughout most of the movie, and I followed them on their journey, kind of feeling for them and feeling for the situation. And the story is very easy to understand. And also, it doesn't take very long to get to the monster stuff either in this film right so there's you've got the interesting stuff with the humans going on and you've got the fun monster stuff going on and adds up to a really engaging movie at least in terms of these godzilla films right this one definitely much more evenly distributes sequences of monster action throughout the movie than a lot of the the last previous ones even ones where monsters stuff was more paced throughout sometimes you would just get like a minute or two of monster scenes but no you get some some good rampages and some good rumbles throughout So, but how does this story begin? Why is it more engaging? Well, this story begins with a massive typhoon hitting a beach, just ripping apart everything and flooding most of it. And we then go to the aftermath of that the next morning where scientists are taking a look at the area and reporters are taking a look at the area and fishermen that use this area are also around trying to figure out what to do about all this. Our main character, a, a once again, a reporter, is looking around trying to get photos of stuff with, once again, this guy also has a female partner that's a photographer. However, this is a different lady, and she's more of like... Yeah, a, I had to check that, too, because she definitely gave off a very similar impression from the first... Um, at least at first impression to me, but no, I don't think this had anything to do with that, because nobody here seemed to realize what the significance of the egg that washes up on shore would be to which i was saying well don't you guys remember a few years ago when that giant moth attacked doesn't anybody have this like recorded down though i guess honestly they might not have the egg hatched on infant island where people might not in this area have been familiar with that event now when the name mothra is brought up later they do acknowledge that because they know what right. mothra is because mothra was there so the reporter's walking around and he ends up in a spat with the guy that's running the restoration of the beach to try to repair things after the damage because he wrote an article in his paper about how it's not been going very well and a lot of the stuff going on there and so but the guy leading the whole fisherman crew is like no the the restoration's going great can't you see but anyway that's the kind of stuff going on in the background because the real real focus here is when his intern reporter friend is setting up her shot and they find a strange rainbow fragment laying in some of the wreckage on the beach. They're not sure what it is, but she remarks that it's very pretty. (laughs) And then sometime after this, yes, Alex, they discover a massive egg, which is floating into the bay, just in the distance until it finally comes ashore. And everybody's just like checking this thing out, trying to figure out what it can be. They bring in a scientist to try to get samples of it. And and this is why this whole sequence and all the stuff with the egg is partially why I just found this more engaging than Mothra. Because they just get into the weird stuff almost immediately. Yeah. Even just, like, figuring out about the egg. There's this little sequence, like, that they do that's just really bizarre. When they're referring to the egg, how much did you sell it for? 1,224,560 yen. An odd figure. Not at all. It's a fair price. Regular wholesale chicken eggs cost 8 yen wholesale. I figured this egg was equal to 
153,820 eggs, multiply that by eight. So you have all this weird math throughout. Like, there's like three scenes kind of like that, which just, okay, I guess this is worth eight times that many eggs for some reason. I think it's mainly just the movie's sense of humor, which as we get on to later on, there's a lot of egg-based humor in this movie for some reason. Which, by the way, Mothra's egg is like, I can see why they're comparing it to chicken eggs, because this thing just looks like a big kind of blue-tinted chicken egg. None of these eggs look anything like actual moth eggs would, by the way, but that's okay. I'll forgive them for this. I would say that the humor in this movie worked better for me in general than the stuff with the reporter guy and Mothra. The the reporter guy and Mothra was endearing, but just all of the loony stuff going on in this movie with, like, the fisherman crew fighting with the people that want to sell the egg and the scientists being on their land and just like all the different inner working politics between all these groups. Sure. I just, I just found pretty entertaining. So, and there's a pretty great scene here where the reporters are trying to talk to a scientist who's getting samples of the egg and walking around it. And they're like, okay, what can you tell us about this? And he's like, well, nothing. I haven't done the samples yet. And then they keep asking him over and over again, okay, but what about, do you think it's related to this? And he's like, well, I don't know because I haven't tested it yet. Leave me alone. And eventually he gets them to shove off. The fishermen technically own the egg, but it's not just the fishermen. It's this guy that, who is this guy? He's like one of the main villains. He like owns the war for something like that. Yeah, he's some sort of capital investor. He and his little henchman dupe, so to speak. And just like the little women in the first movie, they see the egg and they just see dollar signs in their eyes. And they're like, let's make a tourist attraction out of this. And it's just like, you guys don't know if this is going to hatch and destroy all of you. Like, they're they're not thinking, they're thinking with... it's going to hatch. Eventually, they say, oh, when it hatches, whether it's bird or beast, then we'll display that. But I, I don't know. Like, the thing isn't just like this giant greenhouse to help incubate it. But it seems like whatever's that size... When it hatches through the egg, would probably just crash through the, the greenhouse. <laughs> There's no rationality to it. And so the reporters are stalking this guy and trying to figure out what his deal is. Why would he do this? And they find that he's actually working under somebody else. Right, right, right. And who is this guy, Alex? He's this, like, super rich entrepreneur dude. Yeah, that's the capital investor, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the capital investor, and then there's this guy working under him. And the uh. main villain is this capital investor guy who just has tons of money and doesn't want to be bothered with anything. He just, he hears from his underling that the egg's going to make him a lot of money. And he's just like, okay, all right, get to it. Yeah, so I guess they, like, go in it together, but basically, I guess he gets his underling to spend his own money anyway which he's borrowing from him at like 10 percent interest or something that he's gonna have to pay back which i yeah i don't i don't know it's it's a whole thing they're they're both just scum that's the point (laughs) and while the two villains are arguing they hear strange voices calling to them saying leave the egg alone give us our egg back and of course it's the, the little women they happen to have showed up in the room to say, hey, don't mess with our egg. And of course, you know, they just see tiny women and they immediately, like the villains in the last movie, go, oh, even more money. Yeah, and I have to, uh, if we're comparing this, the tiny women and this to in the last movie, just the effects that is, it's the same, the peanuts and all that. But the overlaying of shots was a lot better in this one. I mean, it's not great by today's standards by any means, but in just the original Mothra, like there are these, big blue tinted lines around them that was really, really obnoxious on the couple of overlaid shots you got in that one, which wasn't many because mostly they just kept them in their own scenes and then used the dolls. So this was a step up in terms of uh, that kind of effect, at least. 
Oh, yes. There were some pretty horrific, like, green screen shots of Mothra. <laughs> so they try to catch the little woman. The little women do get away. And the little women overhear the reporters talking about how, you know, they're against those guys for what they're doing. So they speak to them and go, hey, give us our egg back. Please give us our egg back. They find the little woman. They're, of course, like shocked like everybody else to see these tiny women. And they're just like, okay, uh, so what's going on here? And they're like, please give the egg back or Mothra is going to cause a ruckus and the egg's also going to cause issues too. And they turn around and they point and Mothra is just behind them <laughs> sitting on a mountain. <laughs> yeah, they turn around and point and they even have to like look. Oh, where is it? Where is it? I, I don't think there could be anything like that. Ah, it's right there on the top of that hill. Yeah, Mothra just suddenly landed there earlier. So yeah, they're like, uh-oh, well, we better do something about this or Mothra's going to cause problems. And of course, the two villains want nothing to do with this. They don't believe what's going on. They don't see the stakes. And they just keep doing their thing and make, like you said, making a giant incubator around the egg and getting all excited about having people pay to see the egg. And everything just gets worse and worse. And actually, this is at the point where they discover the extreme amount of radiation that's coming out of the area. Which, uh-oh, if radiation is involved, that can only mean one thing. So they go out with the scientist guys and try to do some tests for the radiation. But the guy doing the restoration project at the beach shows up. He's like, I don't care. Just get out of here. You're going to make bad publicity if you're around here <laughs> doing like radiation testing. And then before they can do anything, they see th it's either the beach or the mud itself begins to rise up behind them. And like, what the hell is that? Yeah, like the giant enclosed dirt patch in the, the area they blocked off. That looks really cool. Yeah, so the it rises up, and of course, it's our old buddy Godzilla, and Godzilla rises out of the dirt. And yeah, this might be one of my favorite entrances Godzilla has had in any of these movies, just seeing him rise up and, and the dirt fall off of him. I don't know what Godzilla was doing in the dirt here, though, because in the last movie... That would have been King Kong versus Godzilla. They both just seemed to like jump into the water and swim off. So I guess he came here when nobody was looking and like burrowed or something. Uh, I guess Godzilla took the term dirt nap a little too literally. Uh. Godzilla wakes up. Everybody's like, oh, no, everything's getting even worse. So Godzilla does his thing and he's like, well, uh, back to the old grind. And he just starts... Is it just me, or is Godzilla super extra clumsy in this movie? He trips over so many things. He does seem to be clumsy. It was kind of weird that a lot of the shots with Godzilla overlaid in the background were, like, not focused right, and made, like, Godzilla seem kind of blurry compared to the foreground, but even though it was it seemed, like, clearly to be a mistake, it kind of looked a little bit cool, almost, like... As if there was like a mist in front of him or something like that. Did you notice a lot of the shots of Godzilla seem to be out of focus a little? A little bit, yeah. It's especially the scenes where they're trying to layer Godzilla into scenes with people right. where he's in the background where he's super blurry. I would say that Godzilla's costume here does look better than some of the later movies. I mean, it's still Godzilla. He's still got the, the slightly kind of googly looking eyes. Although, and, and one of his eyes, like, a lot of it, like, I don't know if there was just something wrong with the costume, but a lot, one of his eyes looked kind of off a lot of the movie, which, again, ended up just looking kind of cool, but it seemed like it yeah. was a mistake. <laughs> uh, there's also that beautiful moment when Godzilla first wakes up where his tail gets caught in, like, a radio tower, and, and he's just like, uh, uh, and he tries to pull, oh, and yeah, the radio tower great. just falls over <laughs> on him. 
And so he destroys it, and he starts just <laughs> kind of stumbling his way through a bunch of buildings and just and roaring, and everybody's like, oh, great, now what are we going to do? This is some of the most engaging, just generic Godzilla rampaging scenes I've seen in a while, too. Just, like, with all the bumbling, I guess. And his costume looking, like, between really fun and goofy and more on the serious side in a, in a nice middle ground. So their, I mean, their next option is, I mean, what are we going to do now? So they go back to try to talk to the little women, but they're gone. And so is Mothra. The little women were like, well, you're not going to give our egg back. So sorry, guys. And they leave. So the reporters go back to their office and they're having like a meeting trying to decide what to do. And their boss is like, well, we're, we're the media. We're, we're the voice of the people. We can't do anything about laws <laughs> and government per se, but we control the people. We, we are their voice. So they're trying to think what they can do to make a huge impact here. And, oh my gosh, this one character, and I need to talk about this guy, because there's like this side reporter in the movie who's obsessed with eggs. When we first see him, it's right before the giant egg rolls onto the beach, and He's about to take a bite of an egg and his boss tells him there's a giant egg on the beach. And so then it just cuts right before this guy's eating an egg for breakfast. And so throughout the entire movie, this guy's just making eggs as a joke. And it honestly, like I said, the comedy in this movie worked a lot more for me than the stuff in Mothra. I, I found the goofiness of it very endearing. <laughs> he has the idea of, I don't know, maybe we can get Mothra to help. The boss is like, what did you say? It's like, well, I mean, maybe if we asked Mothra to help, maybe she can deal with Godzilla and help us out. And he's like, oh, that's that's a good idea. The reporters launch an expedition to Infant Island. I mean, you know, they're not exactly hopeful because it's not like the Infant Islanders have any reason to trust them, especially because, as we saw in the last movie, this Infant Island was the site of atomic testing. Right, so you have a lot of, like, it looks a lot more worn down this time. There's a lot of... Just, like, barren rock and things like that. All these bones everywhere from these weird-looking, like, bird things. That that, that was kind of cool. And just also just, like, this mutant turtle puppet in the background in this one scene that... It doesn't do anything, but I just really liked it. It's really another funny, goofy-looking, non-threatening kind of monster in the background. Yeah, I couldn't tell whether that was just a bunch of bones or whether that was a living thing, because it would move here and there. No, yeah, it was moving its head, yeah. But, but the characters never acknowledge it. I mean, well, it's not hurting anyone. It's too slow. <laughs> it's a turtle. It's, it's, it's just that mutant turtle back there. <laughs> so they explore Infant Island, and of course, it's not long before the natives jump them. The natives bring them back, and the natives have them, like, drink this red liquid. And they're a little cautious about this at first, but they all drink it, and then the elder leader of the natives goes... Yes, you have now been cleansed of all bad spirits. Now, what have you come here for? And they're, of course, like, uh, I know how this is going to sound, but can we get Mothra's help to deal with what's going on with Godzilla? And they're just straight up like, well, no. I mean, why would we help you guys out? Look what you, look what your people have done to our island. And no, it's not necessarily them, but it's humans. It, like yeah. the, the infant islanders just see us as the problem, and they're not exactly wrong. Everybody's sad at first, and they're just about to head back because they figure this is how it would go. And then they hear the singing of the tiny women. So they kind of push their way through the crowd of natives and come out onto a clearing that is actually beautiful, which has greenery, which still has life. And the tiny women are singing, and eventually they stop and explain that this 
part of the island which still has herbs and life is pretty much the only thing keeping the natives alive here. It's the, it's the only part of the island that's still healthy. I mean, I guess that would make sense. Allows them to keep living. They talk to the little women and ask basically the same question. And the little women are like, no, I mean, we can't. There's, there's no way we can allow you to do this. I mean, Mothra's just going to keep doing her thing and you guys won't... I mean, are you going to give her egg back? No, those guys <laughs> still have access to the egg. Well, okay, then we're not going to help you. Then they're all just kind of depressed and standing there for a few minutes. And then the intern, the younger lady that's helping out the rest of the crew, has a big emotional speech that she gives to both the tiny women and the natives where she basically says, look... A lot of innocent people are going to die because of Godzilla's destruction. Not all of us are evil. There's a lot of good people out there, too. And I, I want to live in a world where we can all live as mutuals. I agree with you guys. I don't want the world to be like this. And I guess this gets through to the natives and the little women enough that they sing. And they go, because Mothra, of course, has heard their plea, too. And Mothra has agreed. Yeah, they have to formally ask. However... There is a catch, which is that Mothra is a moth. She actually has a very short lifespan. So she is going to die. If she goes and fights Godzilla, she will not be able to come back to Infant Island. She will die before she returns. So this is a very serious deal. But, of course, Mothra can't die forever. She is simply a creature that... You know, basically practices... I mean, it's not necessarily reincarnation, but essentially, Mothra always... They play it up similarly, though. Yeah, it, uh, Mothra essentially, the egg always replaces Mothra with a new right. Mothra. So, if they destroy Godzilla, they'll be able to get the egg back and be able to get a new Mothra. So, eventually, they agree, and Mothra flies off to deal with Godzilla. Which, by the way, like, do you assume that these eggs continue to grow after they're laid? Because now that I think about it, the egg is almost, like, bigger than Mothra. Or at least, like, the main body of Mothra. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how <laughs> Mothra laid any of these eggs. I mean, like you said, Alex, it's not no, a moth egg. Isn't. It's just, like, a giant chicken egg. <laughs> uh. Now, Alex, there is technically a reason we're going to get into about why the egg is so big. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, as this is all going on, of course, we get some more wonderful scenes of Godzilla tripping over buildings. <laughs> and there's one great scene where the villains, there's the entrepreneur, you know, investor dude. And then there's the guy that works under him. And the guy that works under him has been put under real trouble because the fisherman that he's technically renting the docks from so that he can also use the egg as a tourist attraction there. The fishermen are like, hey, dude, you were supposed to pay us one for the egg and another for, for using our land, and you still haven't paid us yet. And so he's like, uh, uh, well, um, uh, look, uh, I'll, I can get you some money, but I promise that I wouldn't do that until the opening of the exhibit. And they're like, well, when is the exhibit going to be open, man? What if the egg hatches and then there is no exhibit? Because that's the rumors that are going around town. <laughs> and he's like, uh, well, you have a point there. Look, look, I'll just get you your money tomorrow. Are you sure tomorrow? And he's like, yes, tomorrow. And then he has his guards throw them out. But then he picks up the phone and calls his investor. And he's like, hey, so... I'm going to actually need some money now because I'm getting a lot of pressure. And the, and the investor's like, isn't he like 
chilling out with like a girl on like a beach or something. Yeah, he's chilling. And he's just like, no can do, man. I I need all my money. I'm kind of tight right now. And of course, he's he's totally lying. Because like even like the, the, the underling even like references like there's some money in this like drawer or something. Can I use that? Uh, no. No, the investor no. has like a giant bookshelf that is just stacks of cash on yeah. all the shelves. But nope, can't use that money. So the investor hears Godzilla's on the way and he starts tr- trying to figure out how he's going to protect his money and everything because Godzilla's going to run right through the hotel where all of his stuff is. Um, but then his underling comes in and is like, where's the money you owe me? And he's like, uh, uh, and then his, his underling just punches him out. He just beats the hell out of him. He just, yeah, man, just like a smack the face. He's on the floor and there's like all his blood gushing out his nose. It was pretty satisfying. <laughs> this whole scene is pretty great. And the underling then goes into the bookshelf and just starts, he like takes off his coat and just starts trying, bills, to, yeah. <laughs> just start trying to pile money into his coat. And then the investor still bleeding, takes a gun out of his drawer and blows away the underling in one shot. Just, just blasts him in the head and kills him. And then he runs over and tries taking the money the underling was trying to steal and trying to pack it all up. And, and Alex, it's just that beautiful, classic villain scene where his greed of trying to hold on to all of his riches is keeping him from escaping. Right. So he piles on as much money as he can. And we get this scene where the hotel staff are warning all of the other patrons at the hotel that, hey, Godzilla's on his way. You guys need to evacuate, which Godzilla seems awfully close for them to only say to evacuate now but whatever (laughs) well it's not like they could have known godzilla would be coming much sooner than that right oh of course not it's not as if godzilla (laughs) walks in one direction and just heads in that one direction so they always know where he's going it's not as if you could hear the ground rumble for miles ahead Nope. But anyway, yeah, everybody starts trying to escape the hotel. But of course, while the investor is trying to escape with his money, Godzilla crashes the hotel, starts just destroying it with his tail and whapping it through with his claws. And debris falls on top of the investor and he tries to pull out, but it's too late. And it crushes him and his money. And Godzilla continues on his path, just destroying it as much as he can. And then something pretty serious happens, that being that... Mothra finally makes her way to shore, and this, finally, finally, is where the true battle begins. And I have to say, Alex, I was definitely not disappointed Mm -hmm. by this fight between these two. It's as goofy and as full of just shot after shot of these characters just kind of not really doing much. Just kind of Godzilla wagging his claws at Mothra and Mothra just kind of making noises and flying around. But it's pretty fun. It's a pretty enjoyable battle. It is fun. You get a lot of like Mothra like going up to Godzilla's face and like clawing at it too, I believe. Yes, yes. And oh my gosh, I laughed so hard. The part where Mothra grabs a hold of Godzilla's tail... (laughs) And tries to pull him away. And Godzilla, like, almost in, like, a scared, desperate fashion, just starts clawing the ground, being like, no, 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 let me go, let me go. Oh, it's it's so good. By doing this, she pulls Godzilla onto the ground and then starts using her, you know, her incredible wind that comes off of her wings to keep Godzilla on the ground. And she's just blasting it with more and more wind, which, I mean, I don't know if that's really doing anything much to damage Godzilla. 
but it is uh, at least making him roll around on the ground a lot and making him disoriented. But eventually, while he's doing all this, Godzilla uh, is getting tired of the charade, and he blasts his atomic breath at one of Mothra's (laughs) wings and actually catches it on fire. Mothra, despite honestly putting up a pretty good fight and doing quite well against Godzilla. This is too much, and she has to land. It almost seems like at first that she's really waving her one wing to try to get the flames off, but it's just doing no good. Well, I, I like, get the the fight tires out Mothra some, but I also realize this was Mothra at the very end of her life cycle, too, so she's not even at full power anymore and just gets tired out more easily as well that's true because of course right after godzilla damages her wing she flies and lands near her egg and dies because the reporters see this happening from a distance and they're talking to the little women who are there too is mothra fleeing why is mothra fleeing and they're like no no mothra's not fleeing she's dying this is it so mothra flies to her giant chicken egg (laughs) And lands next to it with her wing over the egg and finally passes away. But as you might expect, something soon will happen. But Godzilla, you know, he's like, well, ah, that was fun. But back to the old grind. And so the military start bringing in their tanks and bringing all their military equipment. Yeah, because they're leading Godzilla, I think. I think they actually go back to the logic from some of the earlier movies, the, the first couple of them, where they're trying to lure Godzilla from like area to area and i think they're still referencing that they're using massive amounts of light to lure godzilla because i remember like specifically when we were covering i think godzilla raids again and maybe the original godzilla they were doing things like that too where like godzilla was attracted to the 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 lights or something like that that's a good point alex because while i was watching the movie i just thought that the military were terrible shots because the tanks feel like half the time they're just lining explosions around godzilla Maybe you're right. Maybe that's their way of luring him by kind of like creating a a blockage around him. Right, because ultimately they need to get Godzilla after Mothra's down to that area where they have that electric trap set up for him. I forgot to mention, Alex, during the fight between Godzilla versus Mothra, Godzilla almost gets the egg. He smashes through the incubator and almost has his hands on the egg until Mothra attacks. And the funny thing is, is that when Mothra's blowing away Godzilla with her wind, she also blows the egg away a bit, too. (laughs) And it flies away and starts almost, you know, knocking against a hill. And I was like, Mothra, don't break your egg. (laughs) That wouldn't be good. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, the egg is now perched against this hill on the beach. And that's where Mothra lands on the hill next to the egg when she dies. So Godzilla continues on his way. And the military not only is trying to lure Godzilla, because the military is doing their thing they do in every Godzilla movie, where they have some new weapon planned to try to take him down, which totally is going to work. (laughs) In this case, in this case, it's a series of extremely high voltage towers that have millions and millions of volts going through them that they hope to you know just barbecue godzilla and yeah it does hurt godzilla for a bit like they definitely get him for a little bit but it almost seems to tickle him and then he just even though he's being hurt by all the electricity he ends up destroying the tower anyway and moving on all right i mean it was an it was was a decent try i mean there is a second try where they bring in another tower they blast godzilla with even more electricity and they also have a series of planes drop nets on top of godzilla yeah the electric nets too or whatever at least like conductive nets or something which does seem to work for a little bit but yeah you know godzilla he breaks through the nets destroys the towers and moves on 
There's also some pretty great shots here where Godzilla is just using his atomic breath on tanks and other things in the area, and you're just, like, watching them melt. <laughs> so, Godzilla, not disturbed by the electric towers... Just goes on and does his thing. Well, continues in a straightforward direction, which leads him out into the ocean towards another island some distance away. At first, everybody's, like, not exactly worried that he's he's now gotten off the mainland, but as it turns out... A teacher and her students are on that island. Not anybody else, apparently, but a teacher and, a, and her students are trapped on this island. And so they're like, oh, no, how are we going to save the teacher and her students? Yeah, there's a pretty crazy scene where this guy just comes running down to the docks to warn them about the teacher on the island. And they're like, well, we can't do anything about that. Godzilla's heading that way, isn't he? And then Godzilla actually comes through where this guy's warning them and he gets almost yeah. killed underneath the debris of the ships that get destroyed. But yes, anyway, they're like, oh no, now what are we going to do? But the little women aren't exactly worried, however, because Mothra's egg hatches. And a Mothra larva, like the form Mothra took at the beginning of Mothra, comes out of the egg. And so does a second one. Mothra had twins. And these twins, I guess, either because of communication from the little women or whatever, they know where Godzilla is headed. So the twins immediately go over the ocean and start making their way towards the island that Godzilla is headed towards. The teacher and her students are basically just running for their lives and trying to work through a series of caves to get out of the way of the fight. It leads to another actually pretty entertaining fight scene between Godzilla and two Mothra larvae as they use their different techniques to try to deal him in, whether it's trying to grab a hold of his tail. It was hard to imagine that this was going to be as entertaining as it was because they're just these two clunky, not particularly good larva puppets, but what they do with them is just a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, one of them tries to grab Godzilla's tail and Godzilla oh, goes... this was a great image. Like... Just like the, yo, ah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And Godzilla's like, oh no, oh no, you're you're not going after my tail again. And so he's just like banging his tail up and down, trying to get the Mothra larva off of it. Meanwhile, the yeah. other Mothra larva pokes its head out of a small enclosure, a little cave, and starts blowing its webbing on top of Godzilla to try to keep him from moving. While Godzilla is distracted by this, the first Mothra larva that was trying to grab his tail moves away and then starts blasting him with webs as well. And there's a pretty great couple of shots here where Godzilla then uses his atomic breath to melt down the rocks the larva are hiding behind and kicking them out of the way so that he can get to them. But it's no use. The larva just keep pumping yeah. Godzilla with more and more webbing until he is just covered. He can barely move. Like he, I mean, his mouth is still poking outside of the webbing, so he's still able to use his breath. But because of the amount of webbing that has Godzilla entrapped, he can't aim it very well. So he's just kind of blasting and nothing's working. So... Eventually, they are able to blast him with enough webbing that Godzilla trips and falls into the ocean, and they win. Yeah, this was one of the only times that we got a definitive Godzilla loss at the end of a Godzilla movie. I mean, even if Mothra comes first in the title still. Usually, like, they like to just end it with a draw or something like that at least. But no, Godzilla loses against two moth larvae. <laughs> 
if anything, if ever there were opponents too powerful, this is it. And this was the final film of the old era of Godzilla, where he was specifically depicted as the antagonist. So I guess it would make sense to give him a mm-hmm. true definitive beating. Sure. I mean, not that he really seems to take that much damage through all of this, um, but he just gets immobilized and like falls. He'll be back. I mean, he's literally going to come back in the next movie because the next movie is King Ghidorah. Right. King Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, which, once again, two bangers right here. Mothra vs. Godzilla, a lot of fun. And Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, also a a very fun film. I I would argue even more so than this film, but I definitely enjoyed both. Right. Yeah, like, just the setup for the ending of this, too, really worked well for me where they just, like, pinned on the rescued party trying to get to that island to get the teacher and students rather than like having these characters who they've done more things with earlier throughout the film like having like significant things leading up to right now no just get these people to safety that's all you need because they cut to them a few times but honestly like in some of the other ones we covered of these movies like they'd have like these elaborate like spy sequences or something like cutting back and forth between the monsters that i really don't care about so this little thing to do while Mothra, Larva, and Godzilla fight, I think worked really, really well. And I just wanted to cover the ending because I actually really like the ending to this movie. So the the two Mothra Larva mm-hmm. are happy and they start making their way back to Infant Island and the little women ride on their backs and float away. <laughs> There's this great shot of the Mothra larvae swimming away over the ocean. And if you can make it out very distinctly, there's a tiny dot on one of the larvae that's supposed to be the little woman. <laughs> and they're saying sayonara and they fly away. And the reporters run up to the hill just in time to see them swimming away. And they're just kind of saying nothing. And the one says, aren't you going to thank them for helping you out? And the main character reporter turns to that person and says, we can thank them by making a better world. The reporters all wave to them saying, Sayonara, as the movie ends. That's a pretty fantastic note to end it on in terms of the message that the message that these movies sometimes try to instill, which is the issues with nuclear and atomic weapons and why they should not be used. And I, gosh, and then a few movies later, we'll, we'll get the Abira movie with the giant lobster trying to also do a nuclear message and it just fails horribly because they just, because <laughs> they just played off as a joke. But no, here they treat it seriously. And that's partially why I like this movie so much It's because one, I just feel like the way the story is structured is very easily understandable and engaging and well paced where they're always moving from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing as like, oh, we can't get the egg back for this reason, so we have to do this. Oh, well, they can't help us for this reason, so we have to do this. And it it's always moving. And the monster stuff, in this case, starts a half hour in instead of 40 to 50 minutes, which feels perfect for then splicing between right. the monster stuff and the human stuff in a way that is very entertaining to watch. I mean, even the giant egg coming in at the beginning and the the scale or whatever they find, that's all within like the first five minutes too. And then the egg stuff on its own is entertaining. Just watching all that goofy stuff with these, (laughs) with all the egg jokes that happen throughout the movie and people trying to figure out what to do with this giant egg, which they use for a lot of decent comedy. Like it's, 
it's it's a movie that just has a good combination of what we're here for, but also, you know, not taking itself too seriously. Right. What you would say to sum it up compared to a lot of other Godzilla movies is this one really is balanced in pretty much everything it needs to balance. Yes, and I can see now why this one in particular is so beloved among the older Godzilla movies. And I'm not sure how you'll feel about this, Alex, but if I were to make a recommendation, if you're interested in watching these movies but you don't want to watch all of them. You kind of want to pick and choose. I would suggest not watching Mothra and just watching Mothra versus Godzilla. And the reason I say that is because Mothra versus Godzilla breaches on the same exact beats in many ways as Mothra and in many ways has a similar message and I just find it a more entertaining movie. Now, of course, you know, Mothra works as a good origin story for the character and there is some continuity things you're going to miss by not watching it, but I feel like Mothra vs. Godzilla does a good job setting up who Mothra is and the lore behind that character in a way where you wouldn't need to see Mothra. Right, no, I mean, there's no reason that you need to see an origin story for Mothra. I mean, they cover everything you need at the beginning of this anyway. Not that there's really that much to understand. I mean, I, I guess there maybe there's a little bit more than some of the other characters, but they spell everything out for you pretty well. And like I said, though, I thought I did like the humor in the first movie, but though there were good shots of Mothra in Mothra, a lot of the action type stuff doesn't necessarily hold up as well. Well, in Mothra versus Godzilla, yeah, it's a gem when it comes to some of the monster sequences. And then you have that balanced with the message and the ensemble of characters and some humor. So yeah. absolutely worth a recommendation if you plan to try to get into these movies. And of course, as we talked about in the Abira Horror of the Deep episode, next time we are now pushing forward fully into the Godzilla universe, back to a Jun Fukuda-directed movie, Son of Godzilla. Oh, boy. How did Godzilla has a son? Who is his son? What's what's the deal with this movie? I don't know. We're, we'll find out when we get there, but I'm very interested to check this one out. If for no other reason, then because after that, we can go right into destroy all monsters <laughs> one of the classically hyped gems often talked about from the godzilla universe so that'll be very exciting but as it stands yeah this was a very fun look at the origins of i guess you could call the second most popular kaiju out there in japan next to godzilla because mothra would make so many appearances in the Godzilla movies to come, for good reason. Right, and like, as mentioned earlier too, eventually even getting her own trilogy later on closer to the 2000s. Right, which we may cover when we get that far, but I, at this point <laughs> I kind of just want to get through Godzilla no, first. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a ways to so go. So anyway, as always, Alex, thank you so much for joining me on another trip through the Kaiju a Toho Monster Universe and uh, I think for now, I'm, I'm going to go eat some chicken. All right. Sounds good. It's been fun covering the kaiju averse. And thank you for listening and surviving this super long Godzilla episode. But I hope you had some fun. 
Whether you did or you didn't, you can send feedback over to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com, where you can also send suggestions for movies for us to review. And for more episodes of Overthinking Movies itself, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. We're also on goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, and wchx1055.com. February, for whatever reason, seems like it's going to be the month of the bear. We got Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey coming out soon, and then late in the month we got Cocaine Bear coming out. I don't know what the theming is here, but I definitely have plans to check out both of those releases. And I hope whether you see them or not, you'll be back to find out how they turned out. That's a wrap. <laughs>